Welcome to Research Pages, a podcast on all things to do with academic research. I'm Neve Tumulty, and I'm Head of Open Research Services at the University of Cambridge. And I'm Andrew Page, Head of Informatics at the Quadrum Institute. Standard disclaimer, of course, these are our own opinions and not those of our employers. So let's get on to the good stuff. So today I'd like to talk about rights retention. Over the past few months, I've been told, copy and paste in a few lines of text into the end of my papers. But I don't really fully understand it. It's something to do with submitted papers or accepted papers and rights. Surely I own the rights to everything anyway, and it doesn't really matter. So Neve, over to you. You've been talking about this a lot. I have been talking about this a lot over the past while. Absolutely true. When you publish a paper, or when you're writing a paper, you do own the copyright in that. Brilliant. All along, while you're working through putting it together, you and your co-authors share the copyright. The problem comes when you sign all your rights away to a publisher. No, I don't. Uh, you usually do. No, I just, you know, I, they publish it for on my behalf, but I surely I own everything. So you know when they present those screens with all the text and all the fine print on them? I don't really read that. Yeah, you might want to read that because you're signing your rights away. No. <laughs> so the idea with the rights retention strategy is that it is a way for researchers to retain some of their rights rather than signing them all over to the publisher. And the way they do that is by saying upfront that they have reserved certain rights and telling the publisher in advance, I'm going to be doing this, by the way. And then the idea is that if the publisher doesn't like it, they should reject it outright and not waste everybody's time. That's a bit odd. Like, does that mean that I can have a paper going all the way through review and be accepted and then suddenly the last hurdle of falls and they're like, nope, you can't have that? So theoretically, yes, that could happen. What would be much better, of course, is if publishers were upfront and honest about what they permit and what they don't permit. It makes life very difficult if they won't tell people what they're going to do. Okay, so how do I retain my rights? Like, I shove in a bit of text, but what does it actually really mean? The piece of text, because you're UKRI funded, aren't you? I am, yeah. So with UKRI funding, what they're asking is that, you know, when you normally say this research is funded by this grant, they're asking that people add a second sentence that says, ACC by license has already been applied to any accepted manuscript arising from this submission. So that that is a way of telling the publisher in advance that actually regardless of what you later get me to sign I have already assigned a CC by license. Okay so I'm telling them up front that I want a CC by license for my accepted version like I'll do a preprint so obviously that's mine of course. Do I have to put the text in at that point? Yeah so I would put the text in while you're writing the paper just at the same time as you would be putting in your grant number that way you won't forget theoretically you only need to include it if you're submitting to a journal that doesn't have another way of complying with UKRI requirements but actually as a researcher you might want to retain your rights regardless you might not want to just sign everything away to publisher in any case hell yeah I well to be honest I just presumed I owned all the rights anyway as the author and the person put together like I didn't know that these publishers were taking my rights without actually paying me any money in fact I paid them to take my rights away what the hell is up with that yeah, the whole publishing system is a bit broken. That's true. Okay, so I, I shove it in uh, when I did my preprint, and then from there either I submit directly from the preprint server to a journal, mm-hmm. 
or I submit it separately to a journal and it's got this line of text in talking about accepted versions. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's the submission stage. Yeah. Can it be rejected at that point? Yes, it can be rejected at that stage. And actually, in many ways, that's the best way because then you know where you stand and you can find another journal that will accept the paper instead. So my manuscript goes interview and gets accepted what happens what is the actual accepted version is that the one that i submitted or is it like where i did reviews and corrections and responded to reviewers and that kind of thing yeah so the accepted manuscript is the one that has gone through the peer review process you've made any changes you're going to make in response to reviewer comments and when the pub- when the publisher then comes back and says yep we're happy with these comments it's going to go ahead for publishing please can you sign these copyright forms that's the point at which you send your accepted manuscript to your university and get it uploaded right so that's before they do all the copy editing and making it look kind of pretty exactly yeah that's right okay that that makes perfect sense because at that point the journal has done very little other than gotten volunteer academics to go and do a review and send some emails back i completely agree Awesome. Okay. So what is, what, what's the problem with it? Surely it sounds great to me, but journals, a lot of them are commercial publishers. And so surely they don't want manuscripts and information going around that, and then they can't make any money out of that. Yeah, that is exactly the problem. And really, actually, we're seeing publishers with a wide range of perspectives on this. So AAAS, which publishes science, have actually said that it's absolutely fine. They are encouraging the rights retention route because they believe that they they don't want to exclude people from publishing with them. And they believe that the introduction of mandatory gold publishing charges would exclude authors. And they're not wrong. It it does exclude authors. By allowing the green route, the putting your accepted version or, or a different version on your institutional repository, it's getting that research out there quickly so that other researchers can uh, work with it. I mean, obviously, sharing your preprint gets it out even earlier, but of course, there are changes usually in the process between peer, between preprint and the peer-reviewed version. By getting the accepted manuscript out there, it means those researchers are able to ac- access the version that has all the changes that are going to be in the final version in terms of content. I think that's brilliant. I think the publishers that are taking that stance, in my view, that is exactly the right stance to take. The The purpose, surely, of, of a scientific publisher is to help researchers get their work out there and shared and get that research spreading faster. I know for some papers that I've had, it, it is like a month or six weeks or two months between when it's accepted and when you actually get that final version out online. Like, mm-hmm. the, I don't know why there's a delay. Like, I, actually, I, thinking about it, I've got one that's already a month post-acceptance, mm-hmm. but yet it hasn't gone online anywhere yet. It's a preprint, but, you know, it, it ha- they haven't sent back proofs or anything like that. Yeah. Which is annoying, to be honest. Yeah. It'd be better, actually, if they just shoved the accepted version straight up on their website as, like, an early access thing. I'm actually thinking about it. Some publishers do that. They do, yeah. And it makes a real problem. Like, what is the publication date? Is it the date when it first goes live on a website with early access slapped on it? Or is it when it becomes openly available for everyone? It's. I think publishers are playing all sorts of games. But I need to be quick to say, again, it's not all publishers. Some publishers, I think, are doing the right thing. We have a couple of different challenges. We have a challenge where publishers say, well, that's fine then, don't submit to us. 
And that can be a problem for certain disciplines if the journals that reach the community that they want to reach are taking that stance. Then understandably, researchers are very concerned about that and what that means for their research and their ability to communicate with other researchers in their field. It's an interesting stance because in my view, it's not sustainable. So many funders are now requiring this immediate open access that if if a publisher doesn't provide any route that allows the researcher to do that, then they are saying they don't want to publish any papers from UKRI, Wellcome Trust, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Horizon Europe, a whole range of different funders that have this requirement. That's an enormous amount of researchers whose content they're saying they don't want. I can't see that being a sustainable position. And also these are the well-funded people who can pay these ridiculous open access charges as well. Exactly. In many cases, not all cases, of course, there are exceptions. But yeah, absolutely. So then the other situation that is also challenging and it actually in some ways even more challenging, because at least with those publishers, you know where you stand. What's more difficult is when you have publishers that are saying one thing on their website and trying to push the researcher into paying fees, which the institution might not be able to pay. So that causes huge confusion because the researcher expects the publisher to know what they're talking about. They tend to believe what the publisher is saying to them. They come and talk to the people in the library that are trying to support their their publishing process by paying charges or putting it on the repository. And then they get really confused and frustrated when they're told, actually, that route isn't available to you for this journal. In some cases, I've gone and looked up Sherpa Romeo. Mm -hmm. It's a difficult website to navigate, but in theory, it does have the information allowing you to tell what's what. Does it have information on rights retention up there? Actually, we're still trying to figure out what different publisher positions are. So Sherpa Romeo, I believe, is managed by JISC, which is an organisation that negotiates with publishers on behalf of the UK higher education sector. And they are currently contacting all of the publishers, but I know they haven't had replies from all of them yet. And in some cases, it seems as if the replies they have had have just led to more confusion. I don't think they would be on Sherpa Romeo at the moment. I don't know if they're going to be in future either. So how do I know as an academic whether I can do it or not? I'm just blindly shoving it into every paper at the moment. Actually, it shouldn't matter what the publisher thinks of rights retention. You, as an author, own the rights and the publisher should not be forcing anyone to give away their rights in this way. Really, the choice for the publisher is to come out and say, we're not going to accept papers that include the rights retention statement or just publish as normal, and then we'll upload the paper for the researcher. It should really be as simple as that, but of course publishers are not making it that simple. So is this really just a really brand new, untested thing? There's been no like court cases, there have been no you know big hooplas over rights retention just yet and rights retention statements, but it's kind of coming soon. So it's quite new to the UK. The first one I was aware of is the University of Edinburgh brought in a policy for the whole institution on an opt-out basis. So individual researchers can say if they don't want to be part of this policy. That's how new it is to the UK. But actually, Harvard University have been doing this since 2008. So no, this is not a new thing. 
I think what's different this time is the fact that with Coalition S funders all banding together, that is an enormous number of researchers across all of Europe suddenly all required to make their content openly available immediately. Now, I want to be clear, it can be because they've used a read and publish deal to do that. It can be because they've chosen a fully gold journal and therefore grant funding could be used to cover the open access charges. Rights retention is really only needed for the circumstances where the publisher hasn't allowed another route like an affordable read and publish deal or a fully gold journal. Oh, so actually a lot of papers I've shoved it into, I don't necessarily need to have it in there at all because I'm Mm -hmm. paying an article processing charge. Yeah, that's right. I think what we need to be careful of is that UK RISE requirements around when we're allowed to pay for opening uh, article processing charges have tightened up. We're now not allowed to pay for open access charges in what's called a hybrid journal. So that's a journal that we pay subscription fees to get the read access, but they'll also charge APCs or article processing charges in order to publish open access. So the double dipping journals. The double dipping journals. And there are exceptions. There is a list of journals that have a commitment to transitioning to open access. And that's all being clarified with JISC, the group I mentioned earlier. There will be some hybrid journals that will be okay, but as a general rule, unless it's in a publishing agreement or a fully gold title, then the likelihood is the best route you can take is to take the green route and put your accepted version on your institutional repository. What's Cambridge doing about this? We've decided because there are so many questions coming up And we are lucky because others have gone ahead before us. Harvard have done it before, as I say, and Edinburgh are just a few months ahead of us. So they don't have as much experience with this yet. Um, They're just a little ahead of us. But we decided because there were so many questions, the best thing we could do is to run a pilot. From the 1st of April of this year through to the end of March next year, What we're doing is we're inviting researchers who would like to sign up to a rights retention pilot to sign a license saying that they're going to give a a non-exclusive CC BY license to the university for any accepted manuscripts that they publish within that year. What that does is that means as long as they tell the publisher when they submit, by the way, I've applied the CC BY license to this, then no matter what the publisher asks them to do later, that license takes precedence over anything they get the publisher gets them to sign later so what that does is it gives them an additional layer of protection because they've already signed the license with the university so they go through the publishing process they get to their accepted manuscript they get the message saying this has now been accepted they upload it as usual to the open access team the way they do that is through symplectic elements for us the team goes oh Rights retention applied, that's great. Put it onto the institutional repository. And if the publisher has an issue at that point, then they need to be contacting the open access team, not the author. The conversation needs to be with the the group that have put it on the repository at that stage. But I guess 
usually the journal will have the author's contact details and that will probably be their first port of call to contact corresponding author and say hey hang on a second there now it can be or they might send to take down notices to the repository um, so is this something that really has to, is going to have to be tested when you get your first demand yeah well i would say it is already being tested because quite a few of these funders have required it already so one that is significant for Cambridge is the Wellcome Trust. Their policy around rights retention came in from the 1st of January 2021. So we've actually already had more than a year's worth of papers funded by Wellcome coming in with this wording on it. And we have had the full range. We have had the publishers that didn't quite understand what it was. And therefore, we're saying things like, oh, yes, you can make it open on your repository. And that's going to cost you $2,000 instead of 5000 I think they didn't quite understand what it is. I'm not entirely sure what's going on there. But Cambridge is going one step further by applying this extra license, which is different to what the funder requirements are. Isn't that correct? It is different to what UKRI wants. So UKRI have not specified that we have to use the rights retention policy. What they've done is they've said that the researchers need to make their content openly available on publication and that there are two routes to do that. One is by having the final published version openly available and they've provided funding for that. And the second route is by putting your accepted manuscript on the repository. Now, the challenge with putting the final published version on is that there are terms and conditions around the money that UKRI have given for that. And I think they're good terms. I think it's a good policy. I think they're the right terms and conditions. The problem is that the publishers are trying to get researchers to pay. They're coming to us asking to pay in hybrid titles. And we're having to say, actually, the source of funds that we have, we are not able to use for this purpose. Your choices are retain your rights or find an alternative source of funding for this. And very few researchers will have an alternative source of funding. So really, rights retention is necessary, even if UKRI haven't specified it. Does this apply to Research England because they're part of UKRI? That's a really good question. So Research England, for anyone who's not familiar with them, are the ones that manage the Research Excellence Framework, which is a way of determining what kind of quality research is happening in different universities across the UK. And so there are really, really big REF exercises, Research Excellence Framework exercises, where this assessment happens. And there were open access requirements for the last REF, which were that you needed to upload your paper within three months of acceptance to the institutional repository. At the moment, that rules stays the same because we have not yet heard what the next ref or whatever it may be called is going to require. They're in the process of reviewing the ref and how it works. So until that review has been completed and reported on and any new terms are announced, we can't be certain what they're going to require. But what we do know is that their requirements will not be any more stringent than what are in the UKRI policy. If you follow the UKRI requirements, then it's a good bet that you'll be covered for the REF requirements as well. 
since the ref falls under UKRI, you'd hope that they would actually have one uniform policy instead of having multiple. Well, that was one of the stated aims when UKRI did their open access policy review, was that they wanted to have consistency. They wanted to make life a bit easier for researchers by being clear about what the policy is and not having different policies for different funders within that group. I think if we come back and talk about this in about a year, you will have your pilot done. Yep. And probably have a publication ready and you'll have uh, asserted your rights for that as well, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. And we'll have a much better idea then of how it is actually working in practice within the UK, particularly in Cambridge, because you've got this pilot running. Yeah, and I should say as well, lots of other institutions are doing similar things. Whether they're looking to bring in a policy that applies across the whole university in the way that Edinburgh has or whether they're thinking about using a pilot approach as we've done. This is not something that Cambridge is doing on their own. Others have done it already. More are coming soon. I think researchers need to have confidence actually that they do have rights and that the publishers have been asserting more rights than they should have been for quite a long time. So it's time to hang on to those rights and use them so that you can share your research as widely as you want. Thank you very much for those final words. And I've learned a lot about rights retention. So I think we'll leave it there. Thank you for listening to Research Pages. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you use. The views expressed in this podcast are our own opinions and do not represent the views of the University of Cambridge or the Quadrum Institute.